good morning. Are you well rested? Well, this, you think so? Okay, if I see you falling asleep. So I'm, uh, this series has been uh, really just a, a, a simple beginning to nudge my nose in the door of this thing called Sabbath. So I want to do this third one this morning uh, just in keeping the Sabbath holy, some thoughts on that. But ultimately, what I'm wanting to do myself is understand it in a practical sense of what does that mean to me. So we'll, I'll talk about that today. But if you would, wouldn't mind uh, opening your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, I want to read two short passages, and then I'll have two more on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, and then the second book of the Bible, the Old Testament, is Exodus. I'm going to go to chapter 20, and I want to read verses 8 through 11. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll go to Exodus chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 20 and verses 8 through 11, which are the Ten Commandments. You also find that repeated, reviewed again in Deuteronomy 5. So as you're getting there, would you stand? We'd like to stand as we honor God's word. I'll read it, we'll read the two on the screen, I'll pray, and then you can be seated and we'll get into it. So Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and, and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now Exodus chapter 20. Again, the Ten Commandments, this is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Now, Mark chapter uh, 2, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, the Sabbath, was not made, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is also Lord of the Sabbath. And then the next passage is Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29. These are all passages that we've been looking at uh, in this series. Again, Jesus said... Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, Lord, we hear those words and how we love to hear those words. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and you will give us rest. We'll find rest for our souls. Your burden is, is easy and light. And, Lord, we know we are all very, very aware of how burdensome this pilgrimage can get, how crazy it can get, how chaotic it can be at times. And Lord, how we long just to know a deeper rest in our souls. And so, Lord, I pray and ask the things I prepared, you would break them, break them, bless us, Lord. Feed us, we're hungry. We want to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. We want to draw close to you and delight in you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We want to love you, Lord, like you, like you love us. So I pray your blessing. We ask, Lord, also if there's anyone here that does not know you, that beginning step of finding peace with God through you, that, Lord, you would use this time we have this morning in your word and speak 
I pray you just speak love to their hearts and draw them to yourself that they might also know the peace of God where they're at peace with you because they've had their sins forgiven and, you've, and they've been born again by the Spirit. So bless, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So to begin, I want to add one more book of three I gave you last week as a uh, part of my suggested reading list. I, there, I, I'm on my, my tenth book now on this whole thing of the Sabbath. Again, I'm finding it fascinating, encouraging, challenging. But this was written by a guy named Dr. A.J. Swoboda. I actually, I actually emailed him just to tell him I appreciate it, and he emailed me back and, and was encouraged by that. But Dr. Swoboda tells a story about this mystery in military history, that there is this significant difference between World War I and World War II and all the wars that have been since, which would be uh, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, and many others. The question that arose is, for that those who fought in the earlier wars, when they came back from fighting, more often than not, they came back and fairly easily resettled into American society. They reintegrated themselves into a marriage and family. And this happened with very low um, levels of abuse, drug usage by those who came back from those wars. However, in the subsequent wars, there was a significantly higher amount of abuse and drug usage. And as I'm from the Vietnam era, and so I know very well, even personally, my own family, that those who came, there were all sorts of social struggles. There were those who came back, the PTSD was skyrocketing. Now, I also understand this, and maybe there's some veterans from World War I and II even that you know, I also know that a lot of these things were not dealt with back then, so there are other levels that, that wouldn't necessarily be included in that statement, so I get that. But generally, that was the case. So one thing or one theory that led them to believe why that was, and it's this. Those who fought in World War I and World War II, when the fighting was over, they would then get on a boat, most of them, and they'd come back to the United States, and it would take about a month. And on the boat, they'd be with all their fellow soldiers as they went. Those who fought in these other wars would leave the battlefield and be home with their families in about a day or two. So their conclusion in this, or their thought in this, is that it seems that the difference is this one thing. Those who came back from the first two world wars, they had the chance on a boat for a month. And what would happen when you're with your fellow soldiers for a month on a boat? What do you do? You weep. You talk about the sorrows. You talk about the experiences you have. You process is what happens. In the other wars, they did not have this opportunity to do that. And so there, at least one possible understanding is that they had no chance to process. So Dr. Swoboda said this, quote, The truth is that I think that is a metaphor for our world. It is a metaphor for the way we exist today. We have, he said, no space. We have a nonstop existence. We never breathe. We never ponder. We never think. We don't have time to pray, and we don't have time to weep. We don't have time to lament. We don't have time to process. And so he said the Sabbath invites us into a new rhythm, a rhythm that includes space where we can be with God and we can be with others. And so he wrote these two little sentences that I thought are so um, pointed. 
he said, my guts tell me we're all exhausted. And then he said this, and I can relate. My experience tells me the same. Amen? Life, it seems, it, in, in, maybe in all, I just know my culture is exhausting. And thus, when I read a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader, a chapter on the Sabbath, it began, it sprung board me into this quest to study this thing called Sabbath. And remembering, sanctifying, and keeping the Sabbath holy, let me see, it's all new territory for me. And I've been teaching the whole Bible for 40 plus years. I've not yet passed any of this on to my immediate family. That is, to date, we have not actually kept the Sabbath as I understand it and am directing my thoughts toward a 24-hour time slot that I'm giving my, myself and trusting God, resting, enjoying God, enjoying my family, reminding he's my creator, he's my deliverer, he's my sanctifier, he's my savior, that I can depend on him for everything, everything. In fact, I must really ultimately, reality is I have to depend on him for everything. It brings me back to a centering foundation of who God is for me. Now, Isaiah chapter 58, these two verses are are, are good to process. <laughs> if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then, notice, you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. As one commentator put it, God's purpose for us on the Sabbath is that we experience the highest and the most intense joy that can ever be experienced, namely, that we delight in the Lord, our God. And my question to my heart is, do I delight in the Lord? Do I know what that's like? I believe that as Christians, we have moments, those moments when we delight, and something comes across our mind, something passes. It might be five minutes, it might be an hour, it might even be a day. But I'm talking about what God, I think, in this rhythm, that it begins to last longer, the six days I'm working. That he's been able to readjust my whole, what I delight in, because I've spent that day with him. I'm having a blast, really, I'm having a blast reading and thinking and creatively trying to say, what can we do as a family to, to honor God and have fun together and enjoy him and each other. Now, I don't have any expectations that we will be forever consistent week in and week out. And the reason I know this is because it's very counterculture, personally and practically. It is, and we, we acknowledge that. But here's what I believe, that God wants to prove to us that he's right. I say that reverently. Just with every other commandment, he wants to prove to us that he knows. In fact, there's never a time when God doesn't know what he's talking about. Can I hear an amen? If we'll give him back his time. And those are challenging ifs. They are. It seems to me that one of the biggest stumbling blocks is this. All the distractions are programming our minds with an anxiety-ridden, quote, instant gratification mentality. And thus our hearts are more set on the immediate fleeting pleasures of this world. And that's what we go to, just almost knee-jerk. More on those things than on slowing down 
and giving God the space and giving our minds the space and giving our families the space and giving our hearts the space to enjoy God for more than a Sunday service. More than something else I might be doing. Did something fall? Okay, that's all right as long as it's not me, okay? (laughs) I believe that God is in our lives to give us this real thing, this daily thing, this lasting experience where I just delight in the Lord. I just delight in him. Truth be told, the Sabbath command exposes the fact that we enjoy worldly pleasures more because we do not, for whatever reason, and there are many and there are valid ones, we avoid making changes so that we can stop so that we can rest, so that we can enjoy God as he intended us to, even in his creation patterns. That we take him by his word, that we stop and rest and delight in him. I believe that this this Sabbath command exposes that, and I go, ouch. So I want to start with one prohibition, and it's simply this. Never allow the Sabbath to become legalistic. Never allow the Sabbath to become legalistic. That by keeping it, we are more loved by God and more acceptable to God. We must never allow that to happen. This has been hit every, because I think it's a huge need to hammer away at. I'll talk, I want to talk a bit about that. You see, that is not true, and it's never true. Neither is it true that if someone does not keep the Sabbath, They are less loved and less acceptable to God. This is a works merit-based approach to God and will always lead to a dead end. And you know the sign that's at the end of that dead end path? Turn around, repent. That's not what God is looking for. Never has been, never will be. Now, I have this genetic pushback. Thank you to my pastor, Chuck. It's this pushback against any hint of rules by which I can be made righteous before God. That I can be more accepted by God through my own righteousness. The Bible says my righteousness is as filthy rags before God. You see, the righteousness that God can accept is perfection, and we're, <laughs> we're far from that. God loves us all, whether or not we do anything at all. Would you receive that? Just God loves us all, whether, we are, whether or not we do anything at all, this thus Sabbath day. So let us not judge someone as being legalistic because they choose to keep the Sabbath. Because they choose it out of love for God, love for their family, love for their marriages, love for their friends. But neither let, us, let the opposite be true, that we judge anybody because they don't. Now, I want to, again, I want to I hammer away a little bit, little bit that's because I know my own personal tendencies, and I know all, most of you, there's something that's sort of like, eh, or, eh, oh, hold on a second, okay? So here's what I would draw you to, the scriptures. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. We'll put it up here. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. 
He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, notice, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. In other words, well, let me go on, keep going. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess, and I think we need to emphasize, to me and to God. So then each of us give an, so that then, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. What that tells me is simply this. None of you are going to be standing before me. And neither am I going to be standing before you. That's the deal. So what Paul is saying in this area of liberties, he's saying, let's help one another so that we do stand before God. We can do that without shame or whatever it might be there, which we read about the judgment seat of Christ. That's not for salvation. It's for how I live my life. And it's hard enough as it is. Would you say amen? It's so hard. We need to help, not not hinder, but not to put stumbling blocks. So how do we do that? Let people, as best they can, do what they feel in their conscience they need to be doing, and we're going to try and do the same, and let's help one another in that. Some of, my fan, some of my most cherished relationships are with those who don't agree with me on many things. We need that. We need that, you know, provoking one another to love. You know, you, you know I think there's a good provoking. But I'll tell you, in the midst of that, there's a depth of of commitment and love. We could talk about things, yes, things we don't agree, but how that deepens where we do agree. And let me say where we do agree on the basics that I want to stand before God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And they help me along, and they move me along. They help me to learn. They help me to broaden my perspective on things because I, sometimes I think I don't know anything. You with me on that? When there's these things that come up, Let's help each other to understand it. When it comes to our relationship with God, Jesus is all. He's done all. He's redeemed us. He's completed us. We're complete in him. He's the total and finished work for our salvation. So Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. And as we're partnered with him in that yoke, he's wanting to show us this path of freedom and rest, but then there's also working out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God that works in us. This partnership requires things that I must be learning, I must be doing, but listen, let me say it again. Let us never make the Sabbath legalistic. Now, in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis 20, we read these two things. God blessed the seventh day, then the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He did not do this with any other day. Yes, he blessed Adam and Eve, but not with any other day. This is the one he sanctified. He said it's holy. He said you're to keep it. He said it's a gift. He said it's blessed. Now, when something is blessed by God, it is this idea that it's granted 
to produce a fuller and more abundant life. The Sabbath blessing bestowed that day upon the whole creation was the crowning of the creation itself, the seventh day. And God blessed it and sanctified it and said, this is so that you can have a full, abundant life before the law, any of that, in creation itself. The fact that God blessed this recurring period of time, this 24 hour, this day, has a deeply significant truth that I'd like you to just think about for one moment. And it's this. That God, through, in blessing that day, he said, I'm going to bless, I'm going to be for man for all of time and history. That he is going to be with and for man for a fuller, more abundant life through all of time. It's an invitation to God's blessing to everyone who will respond to it. It's interesting to me, the Sabbath is one of ten commandments. So it's odd, a little odd to me that we never would invalidate any of the other nine commandments. We wouldn't do that. Oh, well, it's okay now. I can murder them because, hey, I'm under, I'm under grace. But when it comes to the fourth commandment, and I've heard this often, and I would say in some ways, unconsciously, even in my own mind, it doesn't apply because I'm not under the law. And so, as I've been thinking this thing through, and that's why I, I want to hit it several times for my own sake and for ours, is that's to misapply the truths that we're looking at. True, it's true. We are not under the law as far as our righteousness before God. We've talked, I just shared that. We will never, by the law, achieve to a perfection. We can't. We're already imperfect. But... That does not invalidate the purpose in the blessings of God in the law. Jesus said he came to what? Fulfill the law. He lived it out. That's why in his presence is pleasures forevermore. It says in the Bible that he was the, the happiest of all humans. Why? Because he lived, he fulfilled the law. He lived it out. Here's another thing to think about. The whole law exists for the sake of mercy. Let me say it again. The whole law exists for the sake of mercy. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, it says this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, Jesus quoted this passage in Matthew chapter 9 where the Pharisees said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat? Now, to eat as a Jew means you're becoming one with them. Why does your teacher, capital T, Jesus, eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, what they're saying is we would never do that because, hey, we're righteous. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of physician but those who are sick. I did not come no, first he said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's the law. Sacrifice, burnt offerings. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call, to call the righteous, but sinners to what? Repentance. In other words, mercy 
is what the law, in one part of the law, is the law exists for the sake of mercy. In other words, if there's no sin, mercy is unnecessary. If there's no sin, mercy is unnecessary. The law came to give knowledge of sin. So I love what Paul wrote to Titus. Maybe you can relate. I think that you can. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. This is Titus 3, 3 through 5. Serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But, (laughs) but, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared toward men, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us with the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. This is what we once were. The only reason we're not is because of God's mercy toward us. He did not give us what sin deserved. The whole law exists for the sake of mercy, and Jesus is our mercy seat. 1 John 5.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, it's foolish not to, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means the substitute sacrifice. That means the mercy seat. I like propitiation. Pro, God's for us. Pit, hell, shun, action. God take, took, because he's for us, he took action to deliver us from the pit. If that helps, there you go. Propitiation, it's a big word. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may what? Obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 1 Timothy 1.15 and 16, this is a faithful saying word of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You ever feel like chief sinner? Paul did. He's this Pharisee, the Pharisee. He, kept, he said as concerning the law, I was blameless. As far as he knew, he was the man. He had all the trophies, all the diplomas. He had all the positions, all the power. He was out killing Christians because he thought he was doing God's service. He had it all. But then he meets Jesus and realizes, I was the chief. I was the worst. Now notice what he says here. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ, might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him forever everlasting. He said, you don't think God can save you as a wretched sinner? Look at me. I'm the pattern. I'm the one that was saved. I'm the one that was going out to kill Christians, and Jesus stopped me on that road to Damascus. He said, you're mine. You're mine. There was a day when he said, you're mine. You're mine. And then he invites us to his throne of grace to obtain mercy, how we need mercy. How we need mercy. <laughs> I think of Peter. Lord, depart from me. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. Look what God did with Peter's life. In all the things that he so, so desired. Then Peter, having his sword, took it out on, in the garden. And he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. He even names the guy. I've slung a few swords myself. The law is holy, Romans 7, 12. The law is holy and just and good. James says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty 
the law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one shall be blessed in what he does. The law is good, it's righteous, it's holy, it's free, it's liberty. All the law is fulfilled in this. Love God and love your neighbor. It's all about love. It's all about mercy. That is showing to us our need for our mercy seat. Our need for the mercy through Jesus Christ. And I close with just ending this little thing I love to do. Psalm 19. Beautiful psalm where God himself is revealed through his creation, and then he goes from that revelation so glorious in creation. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the earth showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no line or space where where their voice is not going out to the whole world. Creation shouts out the glory of God. But then he says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise. There's seven things here. This is the law. This is God's commandments. These are God's truths given to us. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judge of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Here's the seventh. More to be desired today than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb, the honey and the source. More by them your servant one, here it is. And in keeping them, what happens? There is great reward. That's the beauty, the holiness, and the righteousness, and the rightness of God's law. One prohibition. Let's never legalize it. Make it legalistic. But three practices, I'm going to leave you with these, and then we'll have communion. Number one, keep it by faith. In other words, believe God and trust God. In other words, it's personal for you. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. You need to know in your heart and mind that you've done your due diligence like the Bereans. You're searching these things out to see if these things are so. You're seeking God for this thing called the fourth commandment, Sabbath. And then you're going to believe God and trust God because it's a new territory. Abraham, by faith, obeyed God and went out and didn't know where he was going. <laughs> I can tell you that's what I feel like. You know, God says something. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going. I feel like God's directing me and leading me, which I believe he has very clearly in this whole pursuit in my own personal life that also reflects then into my family, my marriage, my family. But keep it by faith. What's God stirred in you? Believe him and then trust him. Believe God for this commandment, however that works for you. Trust God in keeping this commandment, whatever that looks like to you. I think there's a lot of freedom. First John said his commandments are not burdensome. God's not trying to lay on you some trip. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They put on men all the, but they themselves didn't lift it up with one finger. They swallowed a camel, but they choked on a gnat. That's legalism. (laughs) Just get in the rhythm. (laughs) Now, because remember the Sabbath is one of ten commandments, I believe it is important that we apply it to our lives according to, listen, according to an honest evaluation of our hearts, first of all. 
Secondly, an obedient response to God. And then third, dependence on the Holy Spirit. So an honest search, an honest evaluation of our hearts before the Father. An obedient response to God. And then depending, this is it, depending on the Holy Spirit. First of all, to fill us to overflowing. To fill us with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. To understand the width and length and depth and height of God. To enter into this place where my relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm filled with all the fullness of God. And then secondly, to lead us with the wisdom that comes from God. Now that wisdom, James tells us, is from above. It's first pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. It's full of what? Mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality and without hypocrisy. How will it look? Love, not legalism. It will be light, delightful, not tedious. It will be freedom, not burdensome. It will be merciful, not shameful. It will be gracious, not harsh. It will be accepting, not judgmental. How will it work? I say to you, I'd love to hear how it's working for you. I've read a lot of books. I'm hearing other things. I've called and talked to some guys about it. I love it. How it look, I'd love to hear. I give you the second one. Keep it by faith, but second, keep it with family and make it fun. Keep it with family and make it fun. In other words, here's, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out a little bit. Uh, I could be misunderstood, but here's what I believe. Build traditions. Build traditions. Make traditions. Now, I came from a family that wasn't, didn't have those, but I'll tell you one tradition my parents had. Every Sunday, I was at church. Every Sunday night, I was at church. Every week, midweek, I was at church. I didn't want to be at church. But how thankful I am for that tradition, if I can call it that, that they hammered into my life whether I liked it or not. It's important that we go and honor God. Now, it's another word that gets trampled, and I think in many ways rightfully so, just like the Sabbath. Whenever Jesus addressed traditions, it was always negatively in connection with the Pharisees' traditions, which is what he was hammering on, which basically were steeped in legalism. The problem was their heart's attitude about how righteous they were and how unrighteous everyone else was and how that he, they were sort of set apart by God. That wasn't the case. That's never the case and never been the case. So Jesus was continually hammering away at that thing called the traditions of the elders, the Pharisees. Paul, in fact, in the New Testament, the 14 times the word's used, 12 of them is negatively. And Paul warns us that we need to be aware of the, the traditions of men that pervert the doctrines of God. That's the problem. Tradition becomes invalid at any point when it is contrary or contradicts the Bible or the heart of God. In what he's taught. Now, positively, Paul exhorted the believers to stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistles. In other words, there was oral communicating of certain things that were really important to continue to do. They were not only spoken orally, but then they were written down. We have them in the Bible. 
They were doctrinal traditions. For example, how are we righteous with God? You got to hold on to those things. How are we to view the scriptures? What is the truth in the scriptures? What about, and they would, to the Thessalonians where Paul wrote this, Jesus' imminent return. We're going to be having Joel here next week. All those things. You hold on to those things, those doctrinal traditions. Don't let them go. Pass them down from generation to generation. Deuteronomy 6, 4 is central to the, the whole of, religion, of the Jewish religion. It's called the Shema. It says this, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you, you shall take in your, they shall be in your heart. That's the first thing. They got to be in our heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, you keep communicating those things to your children. And it's interesting, those are in non-conflict times. You know, we get into conflict. Well, you know what the Bible says. And we do that. Non-conflict times. In other words, as part of what we do with our children, as part of what we do in our marriages, we are continually communicate. And teach them diligently and talk with them while we're walking. That God becomes central. His word becomes central. And by doing that, it begins to be passed down. You see, a tradition is the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. This is desperately needed. It grows us and heals us in the unconditional love of God for us. It becomes a testimony into our spheres of influence as we then begin to then be God's voice to others. Fiddler on the roof. You were waiting for me to get to that, weren't you? Tradition. Tradition. Is my voice like Tevi's? You said yes. Okay, thank you. Here's what Te- how You know what I'm talking about. Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. If you haven't seen Fiddler on the Roof, you've got to see it. But I'll, I want to quote something here that he says. Tevi says, a fiddler on the roof sounds crazy, no? But here in our little village of Anatevka, Anatevka, you might say every one of us is a fiddler on the roof trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. That's a fiddler on the roof on this thing, right? You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? Well, we stay because Anatevka is our home. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition. Tradition. And I think we're living in a lack of balance crisis. Just trying to get a simple tune. Love God. Love your neighbor. Just trying to stay balanced in the, in the <laughs> slides of this world. I think that I believe that an intentional Sabbath rest is God's answer to balance. The Sabbath is blessed, sanctified. It's holy. The Sabbath is a gift given by God to us to keep. That word rest means peace, stillness, happiness. It means harmony in the sense that it's the essence 
of a full, abundant life. Final one, keep it for the future. Simply this, redeem the time. Redeem the time. For the early church, this weekly day off changed after Jesus' resurrection to the first day of the week, Sunday. So on Sunday, we ourselves now gather. This is our day off, our Sabbath, if you will, to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, the new creation. So here's what I thought. Because this is so, for me, it's, it's huge as far as trying to just get a, get a, a pulse and coming against all the, all the different facets of the tensions that we wrestle with in our culture. I mean, just to shut off your phone for an hour is like, I can't do that. So I, said, I thought to myself this week, I said, let's just start with our Sunday. Now, some of you have Sunday off. I think most of you probably do. Uh, mine is Tuesday. But let's just start with our day off. In fact, let's just start with the next Sunday and our next day off. And as we do that, in fact, someone suggested, and I like this, just try it. Just try one. Do a one-off. So I'm saying, okay, what if we just, for next Sunday or your next day off, here's what I'm going to suggest. Why don't you, if you go home and create two lists. The first one are things to avoid on that Sabbath, Sunday, day off. And the other one is the things to pursue on your day off, on your Sunday, on your Tuesday. So on that first list, things to avoid, write down any behaviors or activities that tend to distract you from who God is and what he's done for you. And I say you couples, do it together with your children. Let's go to Disneyland. No. <laughs> so these are the things that stimulate the consumer you. Things that present, prevent you from resting. Things that reinforce the idea that you're what you, you are who you, what you do. Examples might be work. Don't go in. Social media. TV. Answering emails. Doing lists. Appointments, meetings, obligations. What is it? What are they? Now, a while back, this is last year in 2018, I was thinking it would be good if I just put my TV in a box and put it away for a while. Now, that was 2018. <laughs> as, you can, as you can relate, I never did it. Charlotte and I went to Florida in March to a conference, and while we were there for 10 days, we had no TV. Now, I believe that in following Jesus, when we make decisions, they're radical. They're usually contrary to the world. So when I make a decision, it has to be radical. So when we're in Florida, one of my philosophies that it's got to be, you know, it's going to be radical. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to go against the grain. So I said, okay, when I get back, I'm going to pack up that TV. By the way, it's a really nice 60. Got a surround sound. I mean, it's awesome. So we get back. And before I could change my mind, I pulled that thing off the shelf and I boxed it up. It's only been, what, two months. Now, I pace a lot more now in my house. <laughs> Used to be I could sit down, right? But I want to tell you something. I'm really enjoying it. Instead of the TV, I have a little CD player that plays music. Chris Tomlin or whatever it is. Right now it's Chris Tomlin. 
See, that's, that's the kind of thing I'm saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? And let me be radical. Let me just do it and see what happens. Now, the second list, write down any behaviors or activities that tend to remind you who God is and what he's done for you. And again, you couples, do this together and bring your kids, if, if appropriate, age-wise. These are things that help you stop. They help you rest. They help you delight in the Lord. The blessings that he's given you are mindful. You're mindful of them intentionally. These are things that help you thankfully contemplate his goodness and presence in your life. Example, attend church, and specifically Calvary Chapel South. (laughs) Take a nap, but not while you're in church. (laughs) Read a book. Do a lunch with family and friends. Have friends over. Hang out with your grandkids may I say to you, my children, let me have them. You go rest. I'll take your, I'll take your kids, my grandkids. Go for a walk. And so make those two lists just as a, as a little exercise. And then take the list and put it somewhere where you're going to see it. Be reminded. And then I would say just pray over it sincerely. Say, God, because let me say, I, I don't think I'm missing the mark at all to say every one of you, as with me, needs to understand how is it I can break the cycle of the tyranny of the urgent. Now, ultimately, I believe the, rain, the, the, the long-term goal would be how can I have that actual 24? And that's something, again, as we're working through these things and thinking about them. See, here's what I think. A longing for God's loving presence is the very heart of remembering, sanctifying, keeping the Sabbath day. I just want a, long, I'm a longing for God's loving presence that sort of lingers all through the week. A 24-hour period of time when we stop, rest from all our labors to enjoy God and enjoy one another. We're, we're going to trust him for all the things that we've just shut off. We're going to trust him to take care of that because he can do it without my help. And I need rest. So I close with this. I'm going to leave you this now between you and God. Next week, we're going to pick up Genesis 12 and our study verse by verse through the Bible. We're going to start looking at Father Abraham. So now I offer these things to you as things we've talked about. And I say, hey, what would the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Let's pray. So, Father, we do thank you so much for your word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes and all the things, Lord. We love your word. I'm thankful for it. And, Lord, so so thankful that you would give to us the word to speak to our hearts, to transform and change us as we trust you, believe you, obey you, And here, Lord, specifically just with this this much-needed thing we call rest for our souls. You are the one, Lord, that wants us to understand and experience that. And so as our brothers and sisters in the Lord, would you just keep your heads bowed in an attitude of prayer? Because we're going to take communion, but we want to before that. If you're here and do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'll say it simply, you're missing out. If you don't know the God who created you and the reason he created you is to know him and you don't have that, then God has offered to you that invitation through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross to pay the penalty for all your sin. He who knew no sin became sin for you.
He is the righteous one, the perfect one, on whom God put all your sin. He nailed it to the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And now God releases this, this thing called mercy to you. But you must yourself come to him and choose him. So I'm going to ask you to do three simple things. Raise your hand up and say, I want to get right. I want to say yes to Jesus today. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to stand up in obedience to the gospel. And when you do, God's going to wipe away all of those excuses, all those fears, all those reasons. And you're going to be obedient to him. You're going to understand the freedom that comes when you obey him. And then third, I'm going to ask you to walk up to one of the tables where someone will pray for you. Pray with you as you come to the throne of grace and receive Christ as your Savior. So if that's yours, just as we're praying before communion, if that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus today. I want today to be my day of salvation. The day that I ask Jesus into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life. And promise to be with me for the rest of all eternity. If that's you, just slip up your hand. And if you keep it up, I don't want to miss that, though I know God never will. I see that hand back there. God bless you. Anyone else? We're praying. Anyone else? So, brother, would you stand? And as you do, you can make your way over to the table here. Somebody will pray for you. And if you don't mind, we're going to give it up for you a little bit here because you're making a decision. It's life-changing. So we're going to take communion now. I think it's a fitting thing to do at the end of, of this message. Lord, what would you have me to do? And it's always in light of what he's done for us. And that's what we're going to be remembering. Jesus' death until he comes. So as these emblems are passed out, would you hold them and let's worship the Lord in song? I'll come up and we'll take them together as the body of Christ. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.